This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome to Practical Spirituality here in Asia Torah in the old city of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount, which I'm literally overlooking right now because we are in a different classroom than usual. And so, oh, you're not going to be able to see that. Oh, yeah, you can a little bit. Yeah, there you go. Temple Mount. Say hi, everybody. Hello. Hi, hi, hi. So, so the... Um, just a quick announcement is that uh, my seminar, I run a seminar company now for 18 years. My seminar is going to England. And, and I'm running it in September in England, but the introduction to the whole experience is going to be going on in Stamford Hill in a place called Eden Hall in uh, London. And please, if any of you know anyone from England, tell them, Rabbi Yomto's coming to town. And it's really like, even though I've been to England for a couple talks, but they kind of like put me in the back of a car and like whisked me in, put me in front of a bunch of people and then put me back in the car and sent, took me back to the airport. This is like, I'm going there and, and I'm bringing my company's uh, message to it and please God, uh, going to recruit a couple of good seminars, a men's seminar, women's seminar for September. But the main thing is we're going to have this beautiful night together called the ta- A Taste of the Possible You. It's called the Possible You Seminar and this is called A Taste of the Possible You and the Possible You is where you have infinite possibilities in your life and you can access those as a victory a victory over the narrative of your past because you're not locked into the narrative of your past you have infinite possibilities and and my life is a proof of that because if you knew my life story you'd just be like nothing was predictable nothing of that was predictable yet so many people live highly predictable lives and I have learned over the years how to train people to get to that very lack of predictability that I experience and uh, obviously you've got to put it in practice, but we can at least get in there. And uh, that's going on this Thursday in Eden Hall, 8 p.m. in London. Now, um, the other things I want you to know, for those men in the room, we have a men's experience. I'm serving pizza, which is a little weird because I'm a total health fanatic. But I'm serving pizza tomorrow night at 52 Shmuel Hanavi. 52 Shmuel Hanavi for a taste of the Possible Seminar which is going on in Jerusalem for next... It's an intro to next week's seminar, which is going on in Jerusalem. In English, which is rare, because I usually run it in Hebrew in Israel. But it's going to be in English this coming Sunday. If you've never put yourself in front of a personal transformation leader, which means total surrender, and you have to sacrifice whoever you thought you were, if you've never done that before, it is an amazing experience to do that. So I'm inviting every man here, because we don't have a women's one this coming week, but it, there's a men's one, um, that I'm inviting all the men here to join us this coming Sunday night here in Jerusalem. And if you're watching this live, you know someone in Jerusalem who is of the male anatomy, please send him to us. And the uh, that's going to be going on Nachlaot. The address is Shomron 1. And that's at 6.30 starting Sunday. It's every single night. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 6.30 to 11.30 p.m. It's five hours a night. And uh, it's really lots of fun, but you have to be a psychological stability, stable. You have to be a psychologically stable person to get ripped to shreds like that. Um, it's an amazing feeling, but you got to be somewhat put together before we tear you apart. Now, the... Um, and for those men and women who live in New York, there will be, at the end of this month, there will be, right at the end of July, I think the 28th, is it? I can't remember, but I'll, I'll be in Muncie, New York, which is just a little bit up from New York City, where we are going to be running both a men's and a women's one. Men's are going to be non-work hours, women are going to be work hours, 10 to 4 p.m. is women's. And there will be one going on in New York. So if anyone's hearing this in New York, or any of you will be in New York, please feel free to join me for that. It is... 
It is quite an experience. It's super intense. Uh, there's a seat for two people right here. If, I don't know if you guys came in at the same time by accident or not, but there's two, two seats here. We're sitting on this side of the room. And uh, yeah, so, so that's all my announcements, I think. I think. Uh, oh, last announcement is I run a media club, which is uh, getting all of this out there, and that's yomtobmediaclub.com. So if you'd like to join the club, it's yomtobmediaclub.com. I'd love it if you joined. Hey, it's really uh, something very special and we're going to really make this world a greater place. So that's what I want to talk about today, is making this world a greater place. That's really what it's all about. And that's, that's, that's what we're here for. And, and the foundation of making the world a greater place is to, first and foremost, is a recognition, just erase this, is a recognition of the fact that we are created, that we are created. Now, this class is called Practical Spirituality. Now, I know a lot of very smart people who are atheists. Very smart people, like Sam Harris on the intellectual dark web and stuff. There's, there's a lot of smart people out there. And, and many of them are atheists. And what's going on with all these people is, is that with the atheists, smart people. I mean, a lot of atheists are dopes. But what's going on with the smart atheists is that they're like, how do you prove, how do you prove what was there before there was something there? And so they're like, if you can't prove what was there before there was something there, well, I'm not going to believe in it. Now, that sounds pretty sound. You know, that's intellectually sound. Like, if you can't... I mean, since when does an intellectual believe in things you cannot prove? So I understand where they're at. Now, of course, is it really intellectual to be an atheist? No, it's more intellectual to be an agnostic. It'd be say, you'd say, you can't prove it. It may still be there. You guys understand that. Like, you might not believe in death and a aging and death. Anyone here not believe in aging and death? Okay. But if you didn't believe in aging and death, would that really make a difference? <laughs> not a big difference. So the same thing in atheists not believing there's something there because it was never proven to them. It sounds intellectual, but it's not that intellectual. Rather, an agnostic would be the proper approach for that kind of intellectual who would say, listen, I don't know if there's something there. It was never proven, so I'm not going to believe in something there. But I'm also not going to not believe there's something there, because there may be. Now, for those people who are the atheist intellectual, what they like to do is they like to theorize about what could possibly be explaining things, because they all know it started with nothing. Okay, so great, it started with nothing. And now there are even those theorists who say, well, it's just moving around in a circle and it's always been going. But even, even they have a hell of a time describing why our universe is expanding. You understand? Because we have an expanding universe. And now you could say it's expanding and contracting over and over again forever, except that the physics, uh, the physicists of our, um, not our generation, but the previous generation already were able to prove that it's expanded beyond a critical mass. It's not going to become contracting which means it's always been expanding, which means it started with not expanding, which means it was all at one point, which means something began it, which means there's a beginner. Things begin. Now, you should know a lot of physicists hold there was a beginning. A lot of physicists. For example, the physicists who hold of the, what's it called? The Big Bang. The Big Bang Theory. We call them the Big Bangers. Yeah? The people who believe in the Big Bang Theory believe that there was a beginning. So it's not like, you don't have to be like only the Jews who are into God believe there was a beginning. There's plenty of physicists who believe there was a beginning. It's just that there's many people who don't want God in the Parsha. Okay? They don't want God in the whole story. 
And I understand why they don't want God in it. And so those people don't want God, and they want to say instead that it's always been here or whatever. You know, they're, they're going to come up with all kinds of theories. And that's why they have a department in university called theoretical physics, which is always relegated to theory, because you don't have a choice about that. But they don't really want God here, and why don't they want God here? And the answer is the same reason you don't want God here. Because who in the world wants a surveillance camera in their bathroom? Right? Nobody wants a surveillance camera in their bathroom. And we don't want surveillance cameras anywhere inside our homes. And it's really funny that a lot of people have mansions with surveillance cameras inside their homes, which is uh, a little weird, you know. So I, I feel a little funny. Like, by the way, I was, I was in Williamsburg, and I got some Hasidim over here. You're Brooklyners? Or where do you guys live? Monster. Okay. Hey, I'm running a seminar. Just kidding. So... <laughs> So the I was um, I was in Williamsburg, you know, full Yiddish speaking Williams, you know, Williamsburg. It begins with a V when you're there, okay? in Williamsburg, and I'm being hosted by a very wealthy family, a big mansion, and and so I asked the woman in the house, which was a real long shot, but I asked her if she had any yoga mats. And the funny thing is, is today in Williamsburg, like you can get anything, including yoga mats in a Yiddish speaking home. So. So she hands me a yoga mat, and I go down. I f- underneath where I'm staying, I find a big, gorgeous finished basement for like bar mitzvahs, and you know, gorgeous like marble floors, and it's really, really nice. And and so it's it's um, it's Shabbos morning. I woke up a little early before shul. They like Hasidim like to daven a little later. Okay, we got a lot of stuff to do before we daven. So anyway, so I I'm gonna do yoga until I daven. So I, so what I do, I ask her for the yoga mat, she gives me yoga, I go right in the center of this gorgeous hall, right in the center, I put the yoga mat, stripped down to my gatkas and my undershirt, you know what gatkas are? Should I show you what gatkas, just kidding. Gatkas, gatkas are long white underwear, they're super thin, like really, really sheer, thin, lightweight cotton breeches, like it's long underwear, but literally goes down to your calves. So it's the most amazing underwear in the world, gentlemen, by the way. You should go buy a pair of gotchas. Because you know what they're great for? I mean, how many men can take off their pants and still be wearing pants? <laughs> they're amazing. You know, it's a hot day. You know, you got in your bedroom, you took off some stuff, you took off your pants, you're still wearing pants. Yeah? And you, and you want to you get a beer out of the fridge. Well, not too many men are going to walk through their Hasidic home in tidy whities but Gatka's doable. <laughs> and it's also amazing yoga, yoga gear. So anyway, I do a full yoga session in the center of this, uh, this hall. After, I mean, I'm doing headstands and handstands and like, and like I'm twisted up like a pretzel and I'm, you know, and not to mention the meditation at the end. It's like really, you know, I'm, I'm big into yoga. I, I never skip a day of yoga. So, so the, um, anyway, the, I go upstairs later where, you know, the, the boys of the family have woken up and the parents have woken up and everyone's up now and they're all in the kitchen drinking coffee and eating cake. And I look on the wall, they're all giggling. They're all giggling. I don't know why they're giggling. What is on the wall there? A big screen. And on that screen is the front door, it's the back door, it's the, you know, the, the basement door, and it is the hall. 
they've been watching me doing yoga. I'm the rabbi and scholar in residence doing yoga in the middle of Williamsburg. You know, on these people's floor. Well, let's just say they never asked me back. Just kidding. <laughs> they didn't ask me back for leading a Shabbos in English because apparently you weren't supposed... No one told me this. They're not supposed to do a Shabbos in English in Williamsburg. It's, if you speak in a shul, it has to be in Yiddish. In Williamsburg. I didn't know that. But uh, things have loosened up a bit lately because I just was back there and I, I did an English one and no one said anything. So they're really like loosening up over there. So, just kidding. There was actually a, a Shabbos uh, protest while I was there for people carrying, people using the Arab. That was worth having a major protest. So, listen up. Um, having a beginning is the source of all reality for us as far as happiness and meaning in life. Like, you want to have meaning in life? You want to have a happy life? You've got to have a beginning. Because all those physicists out there that don't like that, they don't want the surveillance camera in their bathroom. They don't want a, a, a God with vision. And don't forget, if God has vision, he doesn't just see your body. What else does he see? Soul thoughts. Sees your thoughts. Sees your, your real intention when you agreed to X, Y, and Z. Like he, that's all under microscope all the time. So I get why the atheists want to have God out of the picture. I mean, we all want that kind of, in a way, like none of us want to be under that level of scrutiny. But I'll tell you that it's worth it. It's worth it. You know why it's worth it? It's worth it because you can, you can actually live a meaningful life. Because the second you say there was a beginning, that means there was a beginner. And that beginner, which we call God, that beginner had to have had a purpose for beginning it. And so that means there's a purpose, which now gives you a major head start as a human being, because now you get to go figure out what that purpose is. I think that's why you too wrote that song. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Because a lot of people haven't found it, but they're searching. They're searching. They want to know what we're doing here. What are we doing here? I want to know what I'm doing here. Well, I can look at my life and say, well... What makes my life worth having in this purposeful world that I'm not sure what the purpose is? Well, I've noticed a couple of things. One thing is my body is in total interface being. I'm interfaced, you know, like I can hold things and I'm interfaced with a bottle and, and I need things, which means I'm going to need cooperation and interface with people. I'm going to have to interface here, which means I'm going to have to have good character because if I steal or lie or cheat, well, that's going to come bite me in the you-know-what. So, you know, I'll, uh, that'll come back to bite you. And then I'm going to not get anything because no one trusts me. So, well, so now I need to get stuff because i got to survive. But i got to get stuff honestly. Well, what's called honestly? <laughs> now all of a sudden i got morality. And i got to deal with what's called really honesty. And you can have the Gentile broad strokes of honesty, but you can have the fine strokes of Torah honesty, because Torah gets quite detailed on what's called honest. You know, there's, there's some very specifics, you know, specific detail on what's called being honest and what's called being real and true and not cheating, which may mean you'll wind up with less, but in the end you wind up with more, because if you cheat, no one wants to talk to you. 
And then I realized that the, the body itself interfaces physically, meaning hands are meant to be shaken. Arms are meant for hugging. Yeah, and I'm not going to get any, any graphic detail, but there's other parts of the body too. And interestingly, fit like a puzzle. People opposite gender, except that gets extremely complicated, and therefore there must be some kind of insurance policy. Meaning there's got to be insurance policy for that level of intimacy, and that insurance policy usually lands on a, the woman's finger. It's called a wedding ring, because now we have to have marriage. Because it's too complicated without marriage. There has to be major fallout if it doesn't work out. There's got to be a downside for something that complicated. Complicated things, like, con- like building buildings is complicated. You need a contract. You need a downside. You need a, you need a, it's got to cost you if you blow this one. And so we have to have that. Meaning all kinds of stuff starts coming and we still haven't even gotten to the Torah. You understand? We're not at the Torah yet. We're nowhere near the Torah. Well, this is just the natural way of thinking about things and how we're all going to get along down here. And so having a beginner means there's a purpose. And then my life starts becoming purposeful. But you know what? A lot of the intellectual atheists, Sam Harris, would agree with everything I said so far without a beginner. He would call that all that natural morality or natural, like it's the natural morality. It's the being good and then deriving meaning because even an atheist would find meaning in helping somebody, wouldn't he? If you helped someone get gas cans filled and brought it to their car and said, wait here, I'll, I got gas cans, I'll come with a couple gallons, we'll get you started. Can an atheist do that? Yeah, can he derive meaning from that? It's a pleasure. It's his pleasure. So it's not like anything I said wouldn't work with an atheist. But that's why we have to shift gears. We've got to shift gears to, to an actual God-centered reality. Why? And the reason is, is because of... Well, one of the main reasons is, is because we're all inside God's seminar here and every seminar comes with a certain amount of surrender and we're all inside God's seminar and have you ever noticed that sometimes it's hard? Have you ever noticed life can be hard sometimes? Yeah, you notice sometimes it's hard, sometimes things happen and and there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason about why those things happen and you can and that can cause suffering. Now, suffering without purpose causes bitterness. You get that? Suffering without purpose causes bitterness. People get bitter. And usually people get bitter, uh, could even get to malevolence to actually cause others to suffer. Like, uh, like they already said, I, I mean, generally suffering leads to more of it. And it, it proliferates when it's meaningless. However, what's suffering like when it's got a meaning? Meaning that there's actually, there's a beginner who began creation and, and there's a purpose to it all and he's running the show and he's, he's the seminar leader of our lives and, and we're suffering and we're, our job's to figure out what's going on here and why is this part of my narrative? Why do I have to go through all this? So when I ask those questions, how's my suffering doing if I get answers? It's a great improvement. I'll give you an example. Um, let's just say that, uh, let's just say, uh, anyone willing to be my assistant in this? Because I, I just don't want to pick him up. Okay, what's your name? Justin. Justin. Justin, and this isn't going to sound nice, but let's just say, let's just say, uh, 
Let's just say I put a gun to your head, God forbid, and and told you to turn a crank right on this wall here. You have to turn this crank. Picture there's just a room over there. You don't know what's over there. It's not a hotel. And I'm having you turn that crank. Now, if on the other side of that wall you're turning wheat berries that's being crushed into flour and it's feeding starving children, what would you tell me? Thank you. Well, what would you tell me about the gun? Oh, uh, not necessary. Yeah, unnecessary. <laughs> I get it, man. Like, feed kids. That's good. And so he starts turning the crank and we're feeding the kids and everything's going great. What if I tell you that on the other side of that it's turning an actual machine gun that's, that's gunning down people? Now what would you say? We're gunning down innocent, innocent people, a big crowd of innocent people. What do you say now? Well, the first thing to say is why? <laughs> Let's just say I'm not feeling philosophical at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> can I turn on you just for interest? Like it makes some words. Unless no, you know what? Let's leave some people anonymous here. I only shot through quickly earlier. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, You're well, welcome. What? You would, uh, aside from the why, you would ask, you know, why, or not, not why me, but what's the reason behind it? Or do I? I'm not answering any of these questions. Just what would you say about? Are you going to keep turning that crank? Uh, yeah, I would keep saying that crank. Would you really? Yeah. Because, to save your own uh, life while thousands are getting wiped out? Yeah. Really? Because, uh, you, well, I'm not seeing it in your... No, no, no. Even if I was seeing I, it... I, I, you're cranking it here, and then I have you look over the edge, and you're like, holy moly, look what I'm doing. <laughs> it would depend on my level of fear as to whether you're going to pull the trigger. No, no, it's 100%. You stop, I pull. Then, uh, <laughs> then I think the natural self-preservation takes over. And your desire for self-preservation and the fear of losing that exceeds the moral imperative of not mowing down those children. Oh, no, it's children. <laughs> it's, I mean, what do you want me to say? It's, it's pregnant women. Okay. Yeah, there, w- there might be a point where I uh, would Yeah, what would be that point? It would be different for different people. Uh, the point would be when my suffering from doing that exceeds my self-preservation interest. Okay, that's nice. That's nice. Okay. And um, now, by the way, our Torah, thank God we have an instruction manual, has, has um, it tells us three things to take a bullet for. If you didn't know that, you wouldn't know. Because self-preservation, like you're saying, is of key importance. You've got to preserve yourself. Like, your life comes first in life. Because... You don't have a life, then what's the point of whatever moral choice you made? You've got to have a life. So then for self-preservation is key. But the Torah lets us know that death is better than these. Death is better than these three. Because you don't want to come up with these three. Meaning, think about it. Every, everything you do is basically, you're going to carry that up with you when you die. Whatever you think, whatever you feel, whatever you say, whatever you touch, is all going to, you know, that's the bed you're making. You know, you're going to have to go up with all that when you die. How do we know that, by the way? How do we know that there's going to be consequence for everything you did? You want to know how we know that? Well, back to the beginning. If there's a beginner, so the world must have had a purpose. Now, in that, in that purpose, we realize that some things are just wrong. Again, even from the atheist perspective, some things are just wrong. But here's the thing, that from the atheist perspective, things are wrong, and yeah, life sucks, and then you die. But from the, from the God perspective, 
Some things are wrong because, um, oh, some things are wrong, but there's no consequence. Have you, raise your hand, you ever did anything wrong? Okay, raise your hand if you don't know any clear consequence. Okay, most, most people should add their hands up because we've all done things wrong and there was a consequence, but we also, all of us have done things wrong. The rest of you were lying. And there was no consequence. You got away with it. You walked away with the Walkman. Yeah. And now you're cranking tunes with the Walkman and happily ever after with your stolen Walkman. You know, they, a lot of things that don't have consequence. Now, once you have a God perspective, is there a consequence in this world? Sometimes. Sometimes not. Depends how awake you are. Because if you're very awake, so you'll see some consequence. If you're not so awake, so... So maybe God will meet out a consequence, or maybe God will say, you know what, this guy is such a lost cause that it's not worth it, because he won't get the message anyway. Let's wait for later. But when you have a God perspective that none of this world's real anyway, this is all a simulation of... of and this is a, a, a um, divine simulation. So then when the simulation ends, i.e. the body goes to the ground. The soul now, meaning your whole consciousness, moves up and it wears whatever, it wears its garments. Well, what is the garments of a soul? I didn't know a garment, soul wears garments. And the soul, the soul's garments are thought, speech, and action. Thought, speech, and action, makshavad, dibar, masa is the garments of the soul. And so I may not have a consequence in this world, but I do have a consequence there. And so our rabbis teach us that there are three major sins. There's a fourth one that's interesting, but we're not going to go there. But there are three major sins that you're better off not wearing that garment when you die, such that it's better to die without wearing that garment. You got that, Justin? There are three things that it's better to die rather than die wearing that. You got that? So what are those three? Those three are, um, I mean, they're pretty severe. The one is uh, killing other people. So though you, you, Justin's right, there is a self-preservation voice, but without the Torah, you wouldn't know this. But with the Torah, you take the bullet. Because it's better to die than take a life. And that includes your own, by the way, for those who have suicidal tendencies. And the, uh, I don't think there's any hand, oh, this window has handles, but the, um, if anyone with suicidal tendency, now, it's not good to make jokes on that, but, but that's considered in Judaism one Hundred percent murder. Your murder. Suicide's murder, okay? and not treated any less than that. And I'm not going to go kabbalistically what the kabbalists talk about, but the, it ain't pretty. And the uh, so you're never ever ever allowed to take a life. And it's better to die, meaning take the bullet, than take a life. Better to die without that on your record, without that on your as the garment of your soul. And the other one, another, the second one, is to never have never have committed idolatry so idolatry is a really big one and I'm I have to interface with tribal leaders from all over the world I've been recognized as a spokesperson for our tribe and I speak with all these tribal leaders and we wind up in all these situations that I'm you know I'm really really careful like I because I'll just walk out like I'll, I'll just walk out of the room if things start turning too reverent towards the four directions or too reverent towards the four elements. Now, you think we're into the four directions? I mean, you bet we are. We're like shaking cosmic vegetation and, you know, and all the directions. We're into the directions. 
But do we give an offering to the West? Do we have an offering for the West? We do not. But believe me, we're into directions. So there's directions of where we'll pour the blood of an offering on, at the altar in the temple. Like there, there's directions. We're serious about our directions. That menorah is always in the South. It's going to be in the South, and there's a reason it's in the South. Okay, everything's got a place it's supposed to be. And and how about uh, the elements? You know, like like when they start getting too elemental for me, I, I start saying, yeah, I'm going to walk out of this part. And I literally have a place I go hang out. I just hang out with the coolest guy, coolest guy in Manhattan. I was I was at a summit of uh, leaders of tribes throughout the world, and many of them had never been into a Western situation in their lives. It was quite interesting. My 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 speech was being translated into languages that have never been heard by Westerners in the, in the audience, which was quite something. And the uh, anyway, but. I met the coolest guy in the, there was like an arts and crafts like tribal fair. So I got to meet the guy selling the CBD oil, which he said was not psychoactive. Not. So, but I I think it made my speech more interesting. Anyway. I mean, I thought CBD oil is not supposed to be psychoactive. It could be I'm extra sensitive because I'm not like really that into that kind of stuff. So it could be I'm like hypersensitive to non-psychoactive CBD oil. (laughs) Whatever. I think my talk was a lot more interesting though as a result. I was a lot more creative. Except I kept forgetting what I was talking about. Which is never fun in front of 800 people. You know. Anyway, the... um, But are we into the elements? What do you guys say? We're into the elements? Earth... Fire, air, water. Are we into that? You bet we are. We got four holy cities that are connected directly to the elements. Hebron is earth, Jerusalem, fire. The Tiberius, water. And Svat is air. That's why everyone's so spaced out in Svat. And they're proud of it. Yeah, They love it out there. And, and it's also a good place for crazy people, by the way. No, people should know that. Normally you'd think, like, put a crazy person where sane people are, except what's it do? Makes them feel even more crazy. Put them in spot, they're normal. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I send crazy people to spot all the time. Yeah, it's, it's really good. Really, uh, uh, thank God, there's a place where you're normal. You see, everyone's normal in Greenwich Village. Everyone's normal in Venice Beach. So, anyway, the, um, so, but idolatry is one of the ones, better to take a bullet, better to take a bullet than bow down to any created thing. No matter how much people tell you it's divine or got divinity in it or whatever it is, before you go serve that thing, believe it or not, it'd be better to take a bullet than have that garment on you when you die. Crazy. Now, by the way, if any of you already blew it, if any of you already made that mistake, so, so there's something called teshuva. Now, teshuva will not fix it altogether. You do have to die. But death will, and there will be a way in, after our death to, to somehow heal the stain of, of having done that. Now, you guys might be wondering, what is the big deal? You know, like, hey, I was only doing it culturally, you know. Just like when in Rome, you know. When in India, you know, it was just a holy cow. So, the, the, the answer is, is that 
is that, you know, the, one of the most beautiful lines of our whole Torah, the most beautiful lines, and which is really interesting because Oprah Winfrey gave up her, her life as a Christian publicly on television over this line of the Torah. The most beautiful line in the Torah is why she gave up her, her Christianity publicly, which is really weird, but, but whatever her rabbi at the time was Eckhart Tolle and, and still is her rabbi. And Eckhart Tolle, obviously a brilliant, brilliant, you know, spiritual leader. Definitely the, if you got a chance to read a new earth, read the book of new earth. And when you're done with the new earth, you know what you should read? A new earth again, because you didn't get it. Got to read it again and again and again. I suggest the new earth five times before you move on to any other book. And power now is great, but only after a new earth. Yeah, good, good. Yeah. A new earth isn't as exciting after a power now, but you read a new earth first, well, five times, and then a power now. But anyway, you got to watch out, though, for my recommendation of Eckhart Tolle, because that guy, he don't know jack about <coughs> about Judaism. Nothing. Zero. Absolutely zero. I, I don't know how a guy got that smart without ever having interfaced whatsoever with Judaism. I mean, he knows Zippo. Now, I read a lot of authors, and I'm really big on the intellectual dark web. And no matter who you are, when you get up on this kind of intellectualism, they always have a pretty grounded background in tradition of Judaism. And we are kind of known as this wise people. But he didn't. So just watch out for that. And the other thing is he'll make quotes of other religions and just you can just skip those quotes. Skip those quotes. They're irrelevant in any way. He twists them into some kind of Buddhist you know, teaching every time anyway. So, so just ignore the quotes if you read any of his books. Um, where are we at now? I was talking about... Oprah Winfrey. So what is the most beautiful line in the Torah? So the beautiful line in the Torah is... I am a jealous God. Now, the reason she dropped everything, and she's like, when, you, when, you're with, when you're hanging out with Eckhart Tolle, so you have like, you know, really, you're, you have expanded consciousness. And what's jealousy? Expanded consciousness or constricted consciousness? What's jealousy? When you're feeling jealous, what are you, expanded or constricted? You're in a constricted consciousness, and how can the creator of the universe be in a constricted consciousness to call himself jealous? I mean, how petty can you get? that God's jealous. Except for what? Jealousy is the most beautiful thing in the world. I'll give you an example. My wife's jealous of my career. Not that she wants a career. She's jealous of it because she wants all of me. Like all of me. Because she's crazy about me. My wife is literally head over heels crazy about me. But she has to share me with you. She must share me. As every woman shares her husband with his career. And, and she gets jealous because she loves me. And that's so beautiful. I'd be sad if she didn't get jealous because that means she's willing to share. When you love someone that much that you can't share them. And so that's God's feeling of us. Like, he, And by the way, God's pretty liberal. Like my wife shares me with you. She'll send me out. She'll pack my lunch. She'll like book my flights. She does stuff. I mean, it gets to an, a limit, but... You know, where she's just like, forget about it. It's enough already. But God will let you just do your thing. Where does God draw the line? God draws the line when you give reverence that should have been ascribed to God to anything. You understand? If you give reverence to any created thing that God created, 
Now, I understand why someone might think they should worship the sun, because good luck getting around without a sun. So maybe you should have gratitude for the sun. And the answer is you should have gratitude for the sun. Who should you give the gratitude to? The creator of the sun, not the sun. Because the sun is a medium. It's a means to an end. It is not the source of itself. It's a means to an end. And we always give thanks to the end, not the means to the end. The means to the end is idolatry. Giving gratitude or offering anything to the means to the end is idolatry. And that's where God draws the line. That's where God's like, listen, man, I'm out. (laughs) Can you imagine God saying I'm out? We wouldn't do so well if that happened. But, but, um, one second. You understand, like, that's where God, that's a red line, man. Because, like, I think who, who is the humblest being in the world? Moses. God. God. I mean, imagine we had a timer. What's your name? Hannah. Hannah. Imagine we have a You like God? She likes God. Okay. So that's nice. You like it. You love God. She even loves God. Isn't that beautiful? Now, Hannah, imagine we set up a timer counting all the seconds today that you thought about God. Or let's say a day where you weren't learning in yeshiva. Today you're learning, obviously. Let's say you weren't learning. Where are you from? Brooklyn. So you're in a day in Brooklyn, whatever your life is in Brooklyn, yeah? And we had a counter that counts all the seconds of the day. How many seconds are there in 17 hours? Let's say you're awake for about 17 hours a day. Gives you seven hours sleep. So you're awake seven hours, 17 hours a day. Uh, how many seconds are in 17 hours a day? Any mathematicians here? Can someone ask Siri how many seconds in the 17 hours? 61,200. Thank you so much. So Justin gives us the number, and the answer is kind of 61,200 seconds. How many of those do you get to, you know, get a check mark for thinking about God in your average day? It's embarrassingly little. God's a jealous God, but he ain't that jealous, man. He'll let you use all your mental real estate for a million different things, have you totally spaced out while he literally orchestrates everything, like everything. Like, can you imagine God just, like you're driving down the street and God decides not to orchestrate things for a moment? <laughs> not going to be pretty, okay? You want God orchestrating everything, and he does orchestrate everything, and he's not that jealous because he'll orchestrate everything without you at all, you know, thinking about him during the day. And so that's why when it comes to actually getting to the point where you took your heart and gave reverence to a physical thing, that's, that's a red line. It would have been better you weren't born. And if you were already born, it better you die before that happens. Got that? And then the third one, third one's a little below the belt here. The third one is to there's a long list of forbidden sexual uh, unions in the, in the Torah. The Torah lists a, a long list of sexual unions. I, we made a rap out of it, actually. I'm not going to keep going. I mean, it's, it, there's 37 of them, but there, there's a whole list of like forbidden sexual unions. And by the way, we did this for all 613, so don't think we're like some kind of weirdos figuring out like, oh, how can we make a rap out of forbidden sexual unions? You know, it's for everything, you know. Like idolatry, leave. 
Anyway, just keeps going. So that one's 53. So I'm not going to do that one. Listen, the, it's very ancient Torah, by the way, to memorize all the commandments. Because, like, here we are, like, we bought into this whole thing. Like, you got to at least know what it is. You know what I'm saying? Like, all these knucklehead Balchubas here, like, you know, like, okay, now we're like, Ava, Nagila, you know, like, Turbo Jew, you know, I found the light, you know, except there's a lot of details here, and how could you become observant without knowing the details? And that's why Aishatorist's focus is really like, let's get the details down, so you're not like just jumping into some emotional, you know, religious thing. Okay, now, um, so those forbidden union, unions, all those forbidden sexual unions, and someone's got a gun to your head, you take the bullet. Take the bullet. All the forbidden sexual unions, take a bullet before those. Pretty scary. Yeah. And again, we can do teshuva for these things. There's, we can uh, repent for such things, but there will still be a strong mark on us till we die. And then... <laughs> We'll have to navigate there, which no one can really describe what that's going to be like. But all of us have, are going to have to navigate there. I mean, who says you're going to be? Who says you're going to die the day after Yom Kippur? You know, what if you died the day before Yom Kippur? You know, you got a whole year of like all kinds of stuff that you don't even remember that you did. They're totally inner. I mean, you know how many times a Jew can sin in one week? I don't think a Gentile can sin in their lifetime. What a Jew can do wrong in a week? Which makes sense, by the way, because if a Gentile were going were gonna to complain to God, hey God, why do the Jews get a full factory reset once a year, Yom Kippur, and we got to wait till we die? You know what God says? He says, what a Jew can do inadvertently, without even knowing he did it, in one week, is more than you can do in a lifetime, if you're a Gentile. And so we have to have a factory reset every Yom Kippur. Anyway, the third red line is, is illicit sexual unions. To, to have those kinds of relations, that's the third red line, and uh, and and whatever that that that's one that's better to take a bullet than go there. Aren't you glad you asked? So <laughs> I'm just kind of looking at me like, why are we talking about this? So the anyway, but let's get back to 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 meaning, and that is that life has cause, life has a source and that source is an infinite being and that infinite being which we'll never understand this is all really just a dramatic simulation that we're in right now this is all a simulation but boy do you have free will in the simulation and so you got to make choices and you'll notice a lot of those choices come with no consequences and how could it be and the answer is is that is that the only that it has to be Meaning, from an atheist perspective, yeah, there's no consequences for those things, and you're done. But from a from a purposeful creator perspective, that means that there ultimately is a wrong and right on an ultimate level, and and that there is an actual there is actual um, consequence. And so, my this gauntlet of choices that are presented to me every day are are of, of the utmost serious nature, and and therefore my life's filled with meaning as a result of that because I'm, I'm now walking this path of meaning with, with the consequence there's consequence to things it's, it's real 
you know, and that and there's meaning to it in my life. Now, I, I, I realize that those who are really following my argument, I didn't really go properly. I didn't fall. I did not lead it properly, just in this particular class, just because. Whew, it's been some day with a lot, a lot of classes, so I'm, I'm a bit frazzled and really looking forward to this vacation with my wife tonight. So, shalom, everyone. It was a pleasure. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.